0: Please, God, we pray. Holy Father, we're so thankful for this day for every blessed do us, Father. We pray, Father, that our worship is done according to your will and step in the side. Father, we're so thankful for all that you've blessed us with and thankful for being your children and the age of call you Father. And we're thankful, Father, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ here with us, and we pray that we'll do everything we can to help take care of each other and help each other get to heaven and take community people with us as we can. We're thankful for our elders. Our vision, we're thankful for the future. We're thankful for Connor and for all that they do. And we pray, Father, that we'll always do things according you your needs. We pray that you'll give us, as we mentioned tonight, those who are sick, those who are having cancer. We pray that you'll give them, Father, to be your will, your spirit of recovery. We're thankful for our family that's been added to us. And we pray, Father, that don't do everything according in your will. Watch over us for death and forgive so for our sins. Christ, i we so pray.
1: Welcome back. It's good to see you tonight. So thankful you've chosen to be with us. Also welcome the Myers uh, into our Midway family, the Robinsons. We're thankful that they've chosen to be a part of the Midway congregation. So, so thankful for that. Let me tell you about uh, one of the restaurants that's been on the top 20 list. Matter of fact, it's number one on one of the, uh, the lists uh, that was done by the Daily Meal, the website. Uh, This is actually what's called the number one steakhouse in America. It's The Cut. It's owned by Wolfgang Puck. It's in Beverly Hills, California. Now, I don't know what the prices are. I didn't check to see how much they are. It's probably above my price range. You know, when I go to get a steak, I want a good steak, but I want one cheap. But it's probably above my price range. But what if I told you about... A special. What if I told you about something that was taking place between the hours of three thirty and five thirty Pacific Daylight Time on April the seventeenth? Uh, that's today, um, actually, with the time difference. That's uh, right now. Uh, they're pleased to give to every person who is over the age of eighteen who comes into the cut a. 20-ounce ribeye steak meal. The number one steakhouse in America, anybody over 18, comes in today between the hours of 3.30 and 5.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. They would give them a free steak dinner. 20-ounce ribeye, one of the best that you can get anywhere in America, I see some of you who are wiping your mouth. You know, you really would like to be there right now. But there's some things that I think we can understand about this free offer. Number one, it is free. There's nothing that I could do to earn it. I just show up, and I'm over the 18 years old. And so I show up. And I get my free steak dinner. You know, I can learn a lot of things about that free offer. Now, unfortunately, it's not really real. The steakhouse is, but I just made it up, and I'm sure that Mister P- uh, Wolfgang Puck probably would not appreciate me trying to give away his steaks. But I want to know how many of you are full now from that steak that you got. Some of you are not full because you're not over 18 yet. Okay. Some of you are not full because, well, I guess none of us are because we didn't show up to get it. Even those of us who are 18 and over, we are not in California, and there's no way we can get there between now and the end of the, uh, the offer, the made-up offer, is there? Well, it would be nice to have something like this, and if we got an opportunity to jump at something like that, a lot of people would, wouldn't we? We would say, you know... I would love to have that, especially if I'm nearby. I would love to have that free steak dinner. Well, that one's not real, but let me tell you about an offer that is real. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. We're going to be looking tonight at verses 2 through 5. Joshua, chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. <clears throat> As you know, this year we're studying through the book of Joshua Our theme, overall theme, is the battle belongs to the Lord. And and, uh, as we stated at the beginning of the year, when we started talking about the battle belongs to the Lord, one of the best books in the whole Bible to learn lessons regarding uh, letting the Lord fight the battles is found in the book of Joshua itself. And so that's what we've been doing on Sunday nights this year, and we'll continue that throughout the year. We're almost four months gone out of this year, and we're on chapter number 6, so hopefully we'll get through the book of Joshua. But look beginning in verse number 2 of Joshua chapter 6. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. "...and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, and everyone straight before him." Now, if you were with us last Sunday night, we talked about the end of chapter number 5, and in the end of chapter number 5, we remember that Joshua was surveying the city. He, He was out there scouting it out. He was trying to figure out, evidently, his plan of attack. How is it that we're going to go and we're going to fight against this great city?" And while he was standing there, he saw a man who had his sword drawn. And it sort of frightened him, I'm sure. And so he asked him the question, basically summed up in these words Who are you, and, and are you for us, or are you against us? Do you remember what the man said? The man said, Well, I have come as the commander of the army of the Lord. Basically, he said, Yes, Joshua, I'm for you. You know, Joshua might have been thinking, well, I thought that was my job. But then the next thing this, this man said was, take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. And we talked about that last week. We found that, that Joshua evidently was speaking to the pre-incarnate Christ. He's talking to God Himself. Man doesn't receive worship. Angels don't receive worship. And yet this one received worship and actually demanded it. But as we came to the end of chapter number 5 and into chapter number 6, we have this person to whom Joshua is speaking saying, here's the battle plan. And we talked about that last week. But as you look at that, that's not much of a battle plan if I'm a general. To go outside the city walls and to walk around it, and then on uh, six days do that, on the seventh day, go out and do that six times, and then, you know, at the end of the seventh time, you, you've got the priest who blow a trumpet and you shout, and then you just go and take the city. That's not much of a battle plan, is it? But I want you to notice something, and we have the opportunity of having read ahead And we, as as, uh, Bible class teachers and young people, you know, sitting at the feet of Bible class teachers, we have heard exactly what happened. The walls of Jericho did fall down flat. But you know, just like that fake offer that I mentioned a while ago, there are some conditions that God demands of the children of Israel that must be met before he gives that wall, that city, into their hands. He makes the statement, we'll talk about this more a couple of weeks from now, but we'll talk about uh, some of the things that are related to I have given here, uh, the the statement here, but uh, it is a gift. The city of Jericho is a gift to the children of Israel. Marching around cities... And then uh, in silence and then march, marching around them on the seventh day that you've been there seven times and shouting, that had never been heard of before. But God, He made an offer. And if you met the conditions of that offer, uh, just like if that stake thing had been real, if you had met the conditions, 18 and over, get there at the right time and so forth, you'd get the the free steak meal, it would have worked. Some of God's promises, some of God's gifts are conditional. The Lord said, I have given it. Sometimes they are indeed conditional. God gave the children of Israel a gift, but they had to meet the conditions of the gift. You remember what's said in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, at verse number 11? In Matthew, chapter 6, we have Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's there that we read what's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You remember that one? Well, one of the things that's said in that prayer is in verse number 11. And it's this, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking God to give this day our daily bread. Do we expect just in the morning to walk out somewhere and like the manna of old, it just comes, it just happens to be there? Or or, or do we expect for God to help us through finding a job and giving us good health and, and giving us a good work ethic and all of those kinds of things? Uh, to provide for us in that way. God told us through His Word that if we do not work, if a man won't work, then neither should he eat. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying with the idea of meeting the conditions that God has laid out in His Word for us uh, to have the daily needs, the daily bread that we have. And so when we think about it, there are conditions to the gifts that God sometimes gives us. But I want you to think about it again, focus your mind back on the children of Israel. And back on what God said, the Bible plan was for the children of Israel to go in and possess the city of Jericho. If these people took God up on His offer, they would get it. Would they not? And we know that they did. But, but how was it that they determined that they would actually go out there and they would walk around it one time a day for six days and on the seventh day they would walk around it? Well, the answer to that is found in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. I skipped a couple of things there in the, in the lesson, but look at Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 30. The Bible says, By faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now think about the fact that God says, I have given the city of Jericho into your hand. I have given the city of Jericho in your hand. They went out there, they walked around, just as God had said, and God gave them the city. But again I ask the question, what? caused them to go out there and walk and the writer of the book of Hebrews answers that question for us they went out by faith by faith he says the walls of Jericho fell down what does he mean by that God made the offer and the children of Israel believed they had faith That if they would meet the conditions that God had laid out, then God would uphold His end of the bargain. That God would cause the city to be theirs. That He would cause the walls to fall down just as He had promised. They walked around it by faith. And so a gift was promised. They didn't earn the, wall, the, the city of Jericho. They, you know, it wasn't something that, that normally happened when armies would go out and march around the city. They didn't stomp their feet so hard that they would make walls that were 12 feet thick or more fall down. And so they didn't earn. They, they couldn't merit it in any way. But it was by the grace of God that he caused it to fall down based upon the faith that the children of Israel had in going out and taking God up on his offer and meeting the conditions of the offer that God had made. He laid out the offer. He says, here are the conditions. If you will do these things, then I will give it into your hand. Now with that in mind, think about what is said in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, Apostle Paul writing, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you go back and you think about what is said in verse number 8, by grace you have been saved. You know, there are a lot of people who stand in pulpits, much like the one that I'm using tonight. They, they stand in front of an audience and they say that we're all saved by grace. You know what? I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart we're saved by grace. There's no way that you and I can be saved without the grace of God. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't do enough good things to earn our salvation. We we, we can't undo the bad things that we've done. We are saved by grace. If I were to ask you to raise your hand tonight... How many in this audience believe that we are saved by grace? I would hope every single person in this audience would raise your hand and say, we're saved by grace. Now that's different than me asking you to raise your hand if you believe that we are saved by grace only. If I ask you that question, do you believe that we're saved by grace only, and you raised your hand... Well, I probably wouldn't walk back and slap at anything like that, but I'd want to. Because it would be in direct conflict to what we just read in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, wouldn't it? For by grace you have been saved by faith. Do you know that there are a lot of religious people... And I don't know that I'll say this in the exact same words, just by changing one word. Do you know that there are a lot of people in the religious world who believe that we're saved by faith? I believe that we're saved by faith. If I were to ask you the question tonight, do you believe that we're saved by faith, I would hope that everybody in this audience would raise your hand and say, yes, we are saved by faith. Right? But if I ask you the question, do you believe that we're saved by faith alone, and you raised your hand, just like if you raised it, if I asked if you were saved by grace alone, you know, I'd want to go back there and slap it down, but you put it down because that would be in direct conflict to what we're reading here in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, right? Because Paul says there are two things that are involved. For by grace have you been saved through faith. You see, the grace is God's part. It's the gift that God has offered. God offered the gift to the children of Israel, if you will do some things, I'll give you the city. I have given the city of Jericho. Matter of fact, he starts out by saying, I have given the city of Jericho into your hand. He makes that statement before he ever lays out the, 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 the conditions. I have given it into your hand. That's God's part. You don't think those walls just fell down, do you? I mean, they've been standing there years and years ago when I was just a little boy. I remember going over to a man's house and he had a, he had a truck parked in his yard. And... and That truck had been sitting there for about six weeks, he said. And my granddaddy had an almost brand new GMC pickup, 1973 model. It was green and white. And when I got out of it, I left my door on the passenger side open. That truck that had been sitting there for about six weeks, a big truck, It was a puttwood truck. Guess what it did? It rolled backwards and hit that brand new pickup. Just mashed that door. It was open. You know, crunched it. Now, I don't know what caused it to roll backwards. It just did. Do you think the walls of Jericho just happened to fall on the day that they walked around it? What caused them to fall? The commander of the Lord's army, as we talked about last Sunday night, was there. I don't know how he used that army, if he used them to push it over or what he did, but he caused the walls to fall down that. That was God's part. Hebrews chapter 11 said, they fell down by faith when those children of Israel decided to meet the conditions that God laid out that's how it was faith that saved them, that, that brought the walls down. God has offered salvation, but has offered it on the condition of faith. If the grace is God's part, then whose part is the faith? That's my part. That's your part. That's our part as human beings. We have a part to play in our salvation. And so when we look at Hebrews chapter, or rather, Ephesians chapter 2, when we think about the faith part, we're thinking about meeting the conditions that God has laid out. You know, as I, it's interesting as I think about that, that concept of, of being saved by grace through faith. I mentioned a moment ago that there are some who believe that that it's either by grace only or it's either by faith only. And, and James knocks the faith one down, you know, the faith only thing down pretty quickly because the only time the words faith and only are mentioned together is when James said, it's not by faith only. But when we look at it and we think, well, you know, God's given a free gift and, and, and we by faith have just, Believed and we have it, there's no way that we can work for it. And we, we see that it's not a result of works. As Paul wrote that, but it's not a result of works that we have done that caused us to merit our salvation. Did they merit their salvation or the, the falling of the wall when they walked around it? I guess what's interesting to me is found in the book of John, chapter 6. If there's no work to be done that's involved with faith, why did John write what he wrote in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29? In John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, here are the words that we find. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. I guess what's interesting to me about that is this. Those who say that there's no part that man can play, that there's no work that he can do, except believe there's nothing that he can do, Do they realize that the only part of the plan of salvation that's mentioned as a work is faith? Did you read again what he said there in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29? What must we do? Jesus said, believe. And then he said, what this is what? The work of God. Who does the believing? We do. God, it's not God believing. We're the ones who do it. This is the work of God. And that's what he meant when he said in Ephesians chapter 2, back over there, where he speaks about, you know, those works. It's not works that we do to merit the faith, but it's by God's plan. It's by meeting his conditions it's by taking him up on his offer it's by our walking around the city not literally but in doing the things that god has laid out for us to do we are to believe that's a part of the the salvation process but you know what that's not the only thing there are other factors In addition to faith, there are factors, other factors involved in our gift of salvation. And when we truly think about it, the other factors, the things that we do, the works of obedience that we we follow through with, they, they don't really nullify the gift for they don't merit our salvation. What are some of them? Well, we hear the gospel, don't we? Is the gospel not involved in our salvation? Think about it this way. Is the gospel involved in our salvation or not? What does Romans chapter 1 verse 16 say? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation, to the one who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Is the gospel involved in our salvation? Well, yes, it is. It's God's power for our salvation, right? This is yes, this is no, this is, I'm so confused, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Yes, it has a part. It is the power that we have to have salvation. But now wait a minute. Do I have to hear that or not? Just because there's a gospel doesn't mean that I automatically have salvation, does it? What did Paul write in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? You'll notice a lot of familiar verses from this point on tonight. So then faith, I've got to have faith for salvation, don't I? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith, how how do I get it? Faith comes through hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. What is the Word of? of Christ the gospel those are his words and so tonight what is another factor I've got to hear if I don't know what God expects of me if I don't know about his plan I can't take God up on his offer I can't act by faith and so that's involved but guess what there's other things there are other factors that are involved right right Is it necessary for us to repent in order to have salvation? What does the book of Acts chapter 11 verse 18 say? Luke writes and says, When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance unto life. You see, there were some Jews who were hearing what had gone on in the house of Cornelius. Peter was giving the report. They, they were debating the fact that the Gentiles had now, been, had now heard the gospel and, and could they really be saved? And when Peter explained the whole situation to them, they said yes, but it's interesting how they said it in this passage. God has granted them repentance. Well, what does the repentance do? It gives life. What kind of life? Well... They were already alive physically. The only other kind of life they needed was spiritual life, eternal life. In order for me to have eternal life, is that not the same thing as for me to be saved? To be able to live eternally? Is repentance not necessary? Yes. Well, who does the repenting? I do. I do in my life. And so, if hearing is a condition and repenting is a condition, do I have to do those things in order to to be faithful to God, to have faith in God? The biggest problem that a lot of folks have is, well, you know, I agree with you, preacher. We've got to repent. We've got to have faith. By the way, some people would say it comes in that order. You repent first, and then you have faith. And I would say to that, why would you repent if you don't know what you're repenting of and why you need to repent? And it's hard for me sometimes to believe that repentance is taught that it comes first, but just go and ask some of the denominational preachers right around this area. They'll tell you. Repentance comes first. got to repent before you can believe. Well, now wait a minute. I've got to find out something about... Why I'm repenting to start with. But nevertheless, even though sometimes folks get it out of order, they would say, Yes, you've got to believe, and yes, you've got to repent. What they really have problems with sometimes is being immersed. What does the book of first Peter chapter three verse twenty one say? Think about it very carefully. It says these words, baptism, which corresponds to this. He's talked about uh, how Moses had been saved by the flood. You say, wait a minute, Noah was saved by the flood? I'd say, you're right. Noah was saved by the flood. How was he saved by the flood? God caused the water to raise him up. But again, Noah being saved by the flood... Peter goes on and says, baptism corresponds to this. And then notice that next three-word phrase. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. As Moses was saved by water, baptism now saves us. Now wait a minute, preacher. I got a problem with that. Well, does the Bible say it's necessary or not? Does Bible say the Bible say that baptism is at least involved with our salvation? There's no denying it. We just read it from the Word of God, First Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one. Well, preacher, if I do that, then I am working. No. You're simply taking God up on His promise. You're simply meeting the condition that God laid out. We're not going to take time to read it all, but in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. There's that long discussion. You've read it before. You've heard it before. You've studied it before. There's that long discussion that James takes on regarding faith. You can say you've got faith. I'm going to put this you know, in, in terms that we understand. You can tell me you've got faith, but how am I going to know you've got faith? James makes it clear. I'll show you my faith by my works, by my actions. I know I'm taking God up on His promise of a gift when I do what He tells me. That's that same passage where He talks about faith and how the demons, they believe and they tremble. It's that same passage that He closes it out by talking so then faith without Just like the body without a spirit is dead, so then faith without works is dead also. You see, those works that are mentioned there are not me earning salvation. They're simply me meeting the requirements, meeting the conditions that God has laid out. How did we start this lesson out? Well, we started out by talking about Cut Steakhouse in Beverly Hills, California. I told you about an imaginary free giveaway. If you show up today between 3 3 and 5 or whatever time it was I put up there, in Beverly Hills, California, and you're 18 years old or older, you get a free steakhouse Not a single person in here is full from that stake because we did not meet any of the conditions. What if, when we study from the book of Joshua, we we read beginning there in about chapter 6 at verse number 10 or so, that Joshua went back and he told the children of Israel that God, the commander of the Lord's army, said if we will walk around this city... One time a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. We stay quiet on the first six days. And and, and then on the last day, after that last lap, we're to shout after we hear this trumpet blow and the walls are going to fall down. What if we read, beginning about verse 10 or so, that the children of Israel looked at Joshua and said, well, you know what, that would really not be a gift. God says he gave it to us, but but really if we walk around, that really wouldn't be a gift. And so I'm going to refuse to walk around it. Would the walls have fallen down or not? God had been pretty perturbed with these people on a number of occasions, right? Right? They had shown their lack of faith a lot of times as they walked through that wilderness for 40 years, right? What if they had chosen to act like that now? We wouldn't be reading about how they went in and they took the city. We'd probably be reading about how God destroyed them. God, if I have to hear your word, that's depending on somebody else. God, if I have to believe your word, then then that's working. And especially if I have to get in that water and be baptized, God, I'm just not going to do it. You know, there are a lot of people in our world who may not say it in those words. But that's the action. Sometimes they'll tell you right to your face, I'm not going to do that. If somehow we could read about those people after the day of judgment, what would we read about them? That God offered them a gift, and they're now in heaven, or God offered them a gift, and they refused to meet the conditions to accept the gift. What would be the difference in the children of Israel refusing to march around the city, and someone today refusing to repent and be baptized? for the remission of their sins. Now that would probably have been physically taking their life back in the day of the children of Israel. But there's a soul at stake with refusing to meet God's conditions for salvation see, the works of obedience upon which salvation is conditioned, they don't nullify the gift that God's promised to give us. They don't nullify the grace by which we're saved. They don't merit our salvation, not in one iota. God gave the city of Jericho to the Israelites, but it wasn't until after they met his conditions that he had laid out for them. Not till that last lap and that trumpet sound and that shout did the walls fall. When they met the conditions, God held up his end of the bargain. He was willing to do it all the time. It was by his hand that they received that city. Hey, it was by his hand that they were receiving the whole nation, the whole land. Without Him sending His Son for us, we would never have one bit of hope. We'd all be without hope. But God sent His Son. He made it possible for us to have salvation. He laid out the plan. He set the conditions and says, if you would but just meet these few conditions, I'll let you come home and live with me. Forever. Are we willing to meet his conditions or not? Are we willing to talk to our friends and let them know about God's condition? Could we defend the conditions that God has laid out to our friends? You know, a good place to help people understand that God's gifts are conditional that he'll fight the battle, but he lays out conditions for us in some cases. One of the best places that I know is to go back to the book of Joshua chapter 6, where the instructions are coming from the Lord to Joshua, I have given you this land, this, the, the, this city, but here are the conditions that you must meet. I know that the walls fell. Because the children of Israel believed what God told Joshua that day. I don't have to guess about that. We read the verse, didn't we? Hebrews chapter 11. Do we believe that God has made a promise to us? Do we believe that we must meet the conditions that He has set out? here believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live that life of faith? If we don't, what hope do we have? And the answer to that is we don't. We don't. Sometimes God's gifts are conditional gifts. That's the way it is with our salvation. Would we be willing to meet His conditions tonight. If you're here and you need to be baptized, if you're here and there's something that you need to make right in a public way, would you do it right now as together we stand and sing?